This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The piece that I find the most rewarding with classes is all human beings have a desire to learn and be inspired. And that's what we get from a group class. And it's not the same when you do it on video. There's a detachment there because lots of times you're not being watched, but that energy is not there. Hi, I'm Jamie Buss, and I'm the publisher and editor-in-chief of The Tonic Magazine and producer and host of The Tonic Talk Show and Podcast. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll learn about the importance of metabolic health with Dr. Kwajo Kayarmenti. We'll discuss how to have difficult conversations with Dr. Liz Janelle. We'll explore stress and your resilience with David Nelson. And lastly, we'll find out how to choose the group fitness class that's right for you with Dr. Stacey Irvine, D.C. Dr. Kwajo Kayarmenti is a critical care and palliative care physician at Ottawa General Hospital, where he cares for the sickest of the sick in intensive care unit. He's also an assistant professor at the University of Ottawa. His research focuses on making the ICU more efficient and improving the quality of palliative care. He founded the Resource Optimization Network, a multidisciplinary research group working to reduce health spending in this area without compromising care. Welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? I'm amazing, Jimmy. How are you doing? I'd like to say I'm amazing, but I'm a glass half empty guy. I never quite get there. So like, I'm, I'm doing pretty well by my standards. Amazing. I love it. I love it. So we're here to talk about metabolic health, which covers a lot of area, but I always like starting at the beginning. What is metabolic health? Yeah, great question, Jimmy. It's basically your body's way to respond to food in a beneficial manner. And if you want, almost looking at the extreme version of that is, you know, people with poor metabolic health, it's associated with obesity, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure. And there's a lot of poor medical outcomes that result of having poor metabolic health. For example, stroke, for example, kidney disease, heart attacks, heart failure. And so the reason you know, I really got involved in learning more about this is we saw a strong affiliation with that with our COVID patients, especially in the earlier waves, you know, like whether they were in their 40s or when the, whether they were in their 70s, there was that association of obesity, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure. And so to me, this was one thing that I wanted to highlight to people so that they could actually start doing something about it. And uh I think that's why we're we're talking today. Can you elaborate a bit? Do people understand why COVID was tied or a higher incident rate of COVID to people who had metabolic issues? Yeah, you know, it's tough to put a finger on exactly what the metabolic health, is, why COVID outcomes were poor. But certainly when we looked at the early studies coming out of China, that there was a clear association, like 90% of patients had comorbidities associated with poor metabolic health. And I think one of the things that, we see when patients are more metabolically unhealthy is that they're more likely 
uh, create inflammation within their body. They're more pro-inflammatory. We often use as a medical term. So, you know, when it comes to COVID, often it's not your the actual virus that makes you sick. It's your your body's reaction. Right. It's on the first wave, but by day six, seven, eight, nine of their infection, there was like this inflammatory response where their lungs would start to get more inflamed, and that's what really led people to land in hospital and ICU, for example. So it's that poor metabolic health associated with being more inflammatory and as a result just leading into more poor outcomes. So was it that people who had, you know, these poor metabolisms are continually fighting against inflammation so their body is more prone to sort of over-attack the inflammation? Is that what was going on? I think that's a good way of, of framing it. Like, you're already prone to being inflammatory. Right. And there's another insult that happens, and yes, you have that exaggerated infl- inflammatory response compared to maybe you or I. And once again, that inflammation led, like if it's when I think specifically to the first wave, you're more inflammation in the lungs make it harder to breathe, more inflammation around the blood vessels, why we saw more clotting, for example, and more kidney failure. And so this was one of those things where we were just really trying to tell people, you know, not only we want to improve your outcomes when it comes to COVID, but we also want to improve your outcomes when it comes to heart attacks, strokes, cancer. And uh, that's why I've been pretty vocal about trying to advocate for you know, all of us to try and get healthier. Well, you're preaching to the choir here. When I was 38 years old, I weighed uh, 242 pounds. I was, you know, I think you consider me obese. And I had a family history of heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. And I thought if I did not fix myself, I was heading down a bad path. So I lost 52 pounds and it took me a year. Nice. So I know that it can be done. But as a doctor, like, what do you think about that? Like, I'm just one person, but what does your experience tell you? Well, first of all, Jamie, hats off to you. I love hearing these stories because I think when people tell their story, it it serves as an inspiration. It serves as a a catalyst for people around you when they see that, you you know, you successfully achieved your goals. But, I mean, this is part of the reason why I get so excited about it is because it is achievable. And, you know, there's not a cookie-cutter solution for a lot of people like you know i'm a big believer of intermittent fasting for example i love Mm -hmm. it i've been doing it for four years and i did it more for lifestyle reasons but you know having that eating window between for me between 12 and 8 12 noon and 8 p.m yeah really has helped me feel better i've lost some percentage body fat i just overall feel better in life and the successes i've seen people using that strategy i've seen people successful by just sticking with avoiding processed food, just eating whole foods, real food. And that's the thing, like I was pretty excited to learn about some of these ways that people have achieved their goals. And ironically, as a doctor who's finished med school in 2005, I didn't realize how quickly some of these conditions can be reversed. Like knowing that within a matter of weeks, whether you do low carb, whether you do intermittent fasting, some people were coming off their diabetic meds within weeks. And I was like, wow. If we could preach this to more people, maybe more more and more folks will want to dive in and, and you know, collectively get healthier. So I, I definitely think it's achievable. I just think we need to personalize it. Realize what's the best way for you to achieve your goals. Yeah, I don't like the concept of diets. That's personal to me because I don't believe they're sustainable. But that's me. 
And I think you have to make lifestyle decisions. I, I think we're saying the same thing, but I think we're saying it a different way. It's more of a program than a diet that seems to work for an extended period of time is intermittent fasting. I can't do it. I'm a breakfast dude. And I need, I need to have my three squares a day, and, and that's just me. But I have a lot of friends and associates for whom it does work. But it's interesting. There's you know cycles where it's five on, two days off. There are people who do what you do, where it's a daily process. But it has lifestyle implications, right? Because you know maybe you can't go out for dinner because you have to finish eating by a certain time. or It isn't for everybody, right? You, you'll agree with me yeah, on that I, point, right? Absolutely, Jimmy. It's not for everybody, but... You made like, some key points there, like because people associate diet with like something that's not sustainable, and, and for the most part, I think you're right. So it's you got to choose something that is sustainable. That's why I like intermittent fasting as an option because I've seen so many people succeed with that. And you know, I like as I said, I'm four years deep, and I can't imagine going back. But you got to also make the goals realistic. So yeah. say if you are trying to do intermittent fasting, maybe you're not doing it for eight hours or your eating window is not uh, eight hours. Maybe it's 10 hours. Maybe it's 12 hours. Maybe you have cheat days in there so that you could, you know, make it a lot more realistic, but it's all about making realistic, sustainable lifestyle choices and being in love with the process too. And I know that sounds a little bit uh, hoity-toity or whatever the word is, but if you're doing something daily that you cannot stand, if, if you try keto, for example, and yeah. you're like, I do not like this process, but I'm going to do it for a month. Yeah, you're not going to win. You're not going to achieve your goals. But, you know, if it, it's something that you find not that hard to do, keep it up. You know, it's all about personalizing it. Yeah. And just so people may have heard the term intermittent fasting, but basically what that is, is you have a window when you're going to consume your food. And for, you know, normally you would have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but for somebody who's intermittent fasting, what they're either doing is ending the eating process early in the day during the waking day, or they aren't eating until later in the day. So they are compressing the amount of time during which they take in nutrition and it forces the body to burn the calories and the, and the nutrients in a different fashion. Is that pretty much it? Precisely, like because uh, you hear a couple of different terms. So, yeah. time restricted eating, for example, like if a lot of gurus will say that's more specific to that what we describe, like eating only during a specific time period. Yeah, and then some people will say intermittent fasting, like for example, you hear about a five and two method yeah, where. Yeah. For two days of the week, you eat minimally two days out of the seven days. So, so five days you eat normal, two days you have like a 24-hour fast. So there's different approaches, and that's what I like. You could figure out a way that it works for you, and some of the, the science behind it is reducing the amount of insulin during a time period so that, you know, having that, for example, that 16 hours without having that insulin, which is very pro-inflammatory, as we are talking about earlier, Having that washout period of being uh, having low uh, levels of insulin for a period of time can be beneficial. Also, you know, it, sometimes it's hard during an eating window to eat as much as you would during three meals. So you yeah. might slightly reduce your calories as well. So there's a lot of ways that it could be beneficial for an individual. But for me personally, I, I love it. Okay. For those listening who want to know where they stand, how does one assess one's metabolic health? I, I love that question because you're gonna. If you Google it, there's like 58 things that you could look up to to try and right. make your assessment. There's blood work to check your cholesterol, you know, checking what you're making sure you're not hypertensive. You know, you could uh, based on your weight. But one of the simplest ways is doing uh, 
they call it a hip to waist ratio. Yeah. And basically just, you know, and I'm forgetting the numbers off the top of my head, Jamie, but you could Google hip to waist ratio and based on your measurements, mm-hmm. that'll give you a good sense of whether where you sit from a metabolic health perspective. But certainly one of the simple hacks is just, are you overweight? You know, like it's not an absolute, right. it's not an absolute saying that you're, if you're a little bit overweight, that you're metabolically unhealthy, but it's, it's a, an association for sure. And, you know, as we talked about, there's so many ways of, of we could talk about to try and improve that, your diet. We go to talk about exercise. This is another thing that I think, you know, can be personalized. It doesn't mean you need to be hitting the gym seven days a week or, you know, running a marathon. It could just mean getting your steps in, especially after you eat, you know, or after your, your supper, getting out and walking with the family on a regular basis. It could be something as simple as that, but keeping moving, standing more often. Uh, I often joke and saying, uh, you know, sitting is a new smoking just because of, you know, how uh, immobility can really impact your health. But yeah, diet, exercise, sleep, recovery, all these little things add up, but it's definitely attainable for a lot of folks. I think, you know, one of the messages of the show is the leap from doing nothing to something is, it is both the hardest and the best step that you're going to take because Mm -hmm. the results are so significant from zero to whatever it is you're going to do that everybody can do something and that's something you're doing is so much better than doing nothing. Like it, it could be as simple as walking around the block. But if you're sitting yep. on your duff the entire day, like that jump is the big. The hard part comes after you get a little bit of movement into your, your daily life. You know, to make the significant leaps going forward takes a little bit more. Right. Like, you know, like to, to actually mm-hmm. exercise and and change, you know, the way your, your body processes the energy. That's a bigger step. But taking that first one is easily attainable and it is so important. I couldn't agree more. And it's, that's why I really emphasize folks like just whatever that first step is, make it easy, make it, uh, make it enjoyable. You know, maybe it's dancing. Maybe it is going for a walk with the family. Yep. Maybe it's playing baseball with your kids, you know, like whatever it is, make it enjoyable, make it attainable so that you want to do it. You know, the process is fun. And you're going to, it's going to pay off. I really, I'm a big believer of, you know, keeping it simple and this will help you to achieve your goals. One last question. So if somebody's sitting on the couch right now and they want to take that first step, like you've given some examples, but can we sort of plan out a couple of things that people might do that they're not thinking about that would be great first steps? What do you have for us? Yeah, this is a great question. So a couple of little hacks that I find can be helpful for get people moving is, Finding someone that keeps you accountable, almost finding a partner in crime, yep. whether that's your spouse, whether that's a good friend, whether it's your kid, and saying, you know, this is what I want to achieve. Help me execute. And so that might be, like, I would pick something, like, if I'm going the biggest bang for my buck, I would, it's always nutrition. And so the easiest thing often is eliminating things that are, you know, that aren't good for you. So, like, yep. pop, processed food, chips. And no one's here saying that you, you got to do a cold turkey, but it's all about like reducing and making that goal achievable. So having that partner, making that simple first step and making it easy on yourself. So all that food that you, you feel like is like your kryptonite, don't make it accessible. Put it on the top shelf. Don't leave it in the house, whatever it might be. Keep it absolutely simple. 
And if it's about movement, if you want to say you want to start working out in the morning, one of the easiest things to do is to leave your workout equipment or your workout gear or your, 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 your change of clothes right beside your bed. First thing you do, you don't even have to think about it. You turn, your workout clothes are right there. You're cued. It's like you know, I don't have that anything, no obstacles that are laying in front of me because it's like right there. You know, I, one thing I do often is I leave like, I like doing kettlebell swings. Yep. I leave it right by my bedside so that I'm cued. I'm like, I'm ready to do my swings in the morning. And so, um, yeah, realistic goals, have an accountability, make it easy for yourself, and you got to start winning. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Jamie, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. For more information about Dr. Quadjo Karamenting, please visit drquadwo.ca. For more information about this talk show, you can always visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to have difficult conversations with Dr. Lise Janelle on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Lise Janelle is a human potential expert and relationship coach with over 25 years of experience. Since 1989, she's helped thousands of professionals, entrepreneurs, executives, and artists take quantum leaps toward their vision of success. With an extensive background as a holistic chiropractor, Dr. Lise founded the Heart Freedom Method, a powerful mind-body tool that dissolves subconscious beliefs and unlocks a transformative mindset to overcome self-sabotaging behaviors. Welcome back to the show, Lise. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me again. So last time you were on the show last month, we discussed bickering, which is sort of, as we concluded, is a state of mind. But then we started talking about arguments, and it got me thinking about, you know, raising difficult issues with somebody you care about. So I thought it would be interesting today if we could explore that. How do you raise a difficult issue with with a partner? Well, the goal of a relationship, if we're conscious, is to find more love and grow more in love. I know with my partners and my friends and the people in my life, when you're consciously loving, love just grow more and more and more, and especially grows when we face challenges together. Things that are uncomfortable, but we gain trust by seeing that by raising a point, then we can actually be more vulnerable with each other, and we trust that the person really is there for us. So how do you raise that first? If you want to bring in a conversation, you just said, you know, I love you. And I want us to not have 
Because to me, when we don't raise an issue, it's like every time you don't raise something that's going on, it's like you have to put a brick between you and your partner. And if you keep them down and you don't, you just start piling up the bricks and you can end up with a big wall. And sometimes the wall is so high and thick that you, you can never save your relationship. So you start with, you know, saying, I would love to discuss something with you. This is something that it's hurting me right now or I feel unhappy or... I feel we could be a better couple if we did that. So we can start it by making sure that our partner understands it's not because I, love, I don't love you. It's not because I want to leave you. It's because I actually want to grow more in love with you. Because I find that the two main reasons why people have fights in relationships, one is because they're afraid they'll never be able to be loved the way they want to be loved. And the second one is they're afraid of being abandoned. Mm. Those are the two biggest fears I find that create that create arguments. So, for example, if you feel like, <laughs> I've seen that before, like if for some reason to someone, like, you know, they need to have flowers. And if you don't bring them flowers, it feels like, you know, it's not romantic enough and they don't feel loved and it doesn't match the ideas that they had in their mind of what it should look like. person needs to be able to communicate that, you know, for me to feel love, I would love to have flowers. doesn't mean that they're right. But being able to talk about it, then you can explore the, you know, the situation. You can be an easy one. That's all you want. You want cars? I'm sure. That proves, if it proves to you that I'm romantically connected to you and that makes you feel like I love you, I'll bring you flowers. Or, and the person realizes, oh, my partner actually loves me, just shows me or she shows me in different ways that they love me. So yeah. sometimes it's just about calming down that fear. Because the person doesn't understand that they are loved, they want to be loved. But the other one is also the fear they're going to be abandoned. You're in a relationship, and yesterday I had one of my clients calling me. He just started coaching with me and saying that when he wants to have a time out, like if he knows he's getting upset with his partner, his partner cannot handle if he says, you know, I just need five minutes right now to calm down my emotions because that way I can come back. I don't want to get upset. I don't want to be emotional. I want to be able to speak with you wisely. But the partner is so afraid of losing them that then ensues a huge fight when the only reason they want to take five five minutes off is because they want to cool down. They want to be able to, you know, have a conversation that's more balanced. So it's important to be able to speak from the heart and do it, again, with vulnerability and feeling our partner is receiving us. So you think that people don't have these difficult discussions because of the ramifications in their head, right? Like they're building it up. Like if I raise this issue, so-and-so will leave me or, or so-and-so, you know, will get so upset it'll make things worse. Is that what you hear? Is that what you're hearing from Yeah, me? exactly. Like. What if I raise this concern and then I see that my partner doesn't want to listen? That's going to really hurt me. Then I'm going to be proven that my partner doesn't love me. So what if I raise this this concern and nothing changes? That's one. The other one is, yeah, what if I raise this concern and my partner leaves me? And at the core of all of these things, and this is how I do all my work, at the core of all of these things is, it's important to know that you are worthy of love because the emotions are guides 
to show us where we have the illusion of being unworthy of love. Emotions are guides to show us where we have the illusion of being unworthy of love. And that's actually a trick I give to my clients. When you're in a situation and it feels really intense and emotional, you take a deep breath in and you go, since I'm worthy of love, what's really going on right now? Or since my partner loves me, what's really going on right now? So dealing with a challenging situation from that place makes it less emotional, makes it easier to connect with the partner, to have this conversation. And there are things we can do also to make it easier in the beginning. So is it your position that it's always the wise idea to have these discussions, even if you're fearful? I mean, there might be a legitimate reason, right? If you've been with somebody a long time, you may you know, feel in your gut that they don't love you anymore or that that love is fading and pressing an issue might just be the tipping point. But are, mm-hmm. are you saying it's always best to raise those issues no matter what? Yeah, it's always best because ultimately what, like, energy can never be destroyed or created with just change form. So if you are in a relationship and you're saying no to yourself all the time for the sake of the relationship, imagine you have a gigantic spring and every time you say no to yourself, you're pushing down on a spring, you're pushing down on a spring, you're pushing down on a spring. At some point, the spring is going to push back so high that you won't be able to resist it. So how is that going to show up in your, in your relationship? If you don't speak from the heart, either you're going to have a big argument, one that really hurts. Two, the person's just going to say, I'm out of here. I can't stand this anymore. I'm out. So if you don't share what's going on, you never try to find a solution. And it's not fair. It's actually not fair to your partner not to raise an issue. Because if they had known, they could actually do something about it. And number three, you know, with background with wellness and all that, if you don't either get angry and blow up or leave, you're going to get sick. Because that's stressful. And stress will show up as inflammation in the body. So you can get cancer, you can get heart disease, you can get arthritis, you can get headaches, all kinds of things. Are you, cannot, you cannot cheat the system. You need to come from the heart. And when you're in the heart, you have an honest connection with your partner. So if we've established that it's always important to raise the issue, I mean, my, my rule of thumb is if I have something important to talk about with my wife, I really, really, really try my best to make sure I don't raise that issue for the first time in the middle of an argument. Like if we're already upset about something, that's the worst time to raise something important. Do you have rules or guidelines? Yeah, you're wise. You're wise, man. That's beautiful. One of the things that I highly recommend people do is you actually make a date to talk about it. Because let's say you've been thinking about this for a week and you're getting your courage in your mind, you already worked it all out, yeah. and uh, you want to talk with your partner about that. But, you know, they have a big presentation the following day. Yep. And their mind is on creating the presentation, they need to do it, and you're asking to talk at that moment, and then you're not going to get the response that you want. So if it's something really big... Just make sure that you ask your partner, okay, I would really love to get our relationship closer. I got this thing I'd love to speak to you about. Uh, When would you have time to have a good conversation heart to heart? 
That's a hard thing to do. If, if my wife said that to me, I'd be worried from the moment she said it till the time we had a chance to talk. You know, there's something really wrong. But I hear you. And the other thing is, it sounds like the worst date ever, Lise, with all due respect. Like, you know, you called it a date. But that, sounds, that sounds horrible. Yeah, but at the same time, when you know that your partner loves you, what ends yeah. up happening is at the end, you actually feel so much more in love with each other. When you're willing to... Make yourself vulnerable and believe, okay, my partner loves me, and if I bring something to the table, they're going to listen to me, and they're actually not going to leave me. Yeah. We actually have fallen more in love with each other. It's actually, wow. And so the first time might be challenging, but after you've done it a few times, it becomes a lot easier because you always end up feeling better at the end. Unless you know your relationship is on the brinks of falling apart, that might be a really scary thing to do. But if you know your partner loves you, don't have to be worried about it because you can actually start. That's one of the, the thing I love is that once you've done it two or three times, you realize at the end of each time you feel better. So you're not afraid of doing it. It becomes a lot easier to have honest conversations. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Will you come back again soon? I'd love to. (laughs) That was Dr. Lise Janelle. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Suffering with pain or arthritis? Having trouble sleeping due to stress and anxiety? Understand the benefits of medical cannabis science. Optican CB4 Relief Soft Gels are formulated with patented Bezosorb pharmaceutical technology and are clinically proven to deliver four and a half times more CBD into your bloodstream three times faster than conventional CBD capsules. That's reliable relief in a nutshell and in an Optican soft gel. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and sign up at OptiCan2Ns.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. David Nelson is a fellow at Invivo Planetary Health, a part of the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. He attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, is a health food retail and wellness service business owner, and he's written numerous academic articles and currently has one in preprint, establishing the importance of the acid-alkaline balance of foods that we eat. He lives in Woodstock with his family. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Good, Jamie. Good. How are you doing? Okay, so for me, I'm always, uh, how shall I put this? I'm a bit of a jittery monkey. I've always got something going on. I would say... I live in stress, and I'm okay with that, but I think a lot of people are living in stress now that maybe aren't okay with it. Does that seem like that to you? Yeah, it actually does seem like that. When I think about the stress thing and what we're seeing kind of like from a pandemic perspective, a lot of us were on a boat where the water really wasn't too rough, and when the pandemic came along, it changed the water we were on, and we didn't check to see if the boat was able to handle the new water. So now we're like, is this boat that I'm in going to handle the situation I feel like I'm in? 
And that feels stressful because the boat itself is stressed by the environment that the boat's in. So we want to make sure the vessel we're in is, is going to be able to keep us afloat. And that's both physically as well as emotionally. Yeah. You know, one might say that maybe we're all a bit soft. I mean, you know, like if we're being kind to ourselves, it's like, oh, we've never experienced this before. And now we have to think about it. If we're being perhaps a little more critical, it's, hmm, you know, when you lead the life of an average North American, probably Mm. never had to turn your mind to it. But I wonder if that's a good thing. I don't know. Well, I think you raise a really, really important point. In planetary health, which is something that the world scientists are looking at, one of the things that we're looking at right now is how much stress is in someone's environment. That's the exposome. That's the new word, Mm -hmm. exposome. It means all the things that are outside of you that can affect your health. And that could be things like living close to an airport with noise pollution. It could be eating bad, ultra-processed food all the time. could be not getting enough sleep because you have light leaking in your windows from being, say, in a really high-light urban environment. Right. Those are all exposome things. And then the other word that's emerging in the literature and the science is allostatic load. So the exposome is the total collection of things. Right. Allostatic load is how many of those things affect you. What's the load on you? And so that's what we're feeling right now. Before we kind of, phones really started to take off in 2007. We had that financial crisis in 2008. Mm -hmm. Then we kept doing some things. We're, you know, eating kind of more processed food. We're not as active as we used to be 20 or 30 years ago, and we're not sleeping as well. So all of these things add up to make us feel more stressed, and then we do become more stressed. Let's focus on sleep. Yeah. So is my sleep the same as it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago? No, it is not. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm wondering, is it these extrinsic forces, or is it my personal health, or is it just I'm getting older, and that's just what happens when you get older? What do you think is going on with our sleep? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think we have a silent epidemic of short sleep and insomnia, at least in North America. And I think that there's a a professor, his name's Matthew Walker. He wrote a book called Why We Need Sleep, and it became a New York Times bestseller. And he talks a lot about this sleep idea. And it has a lot to do with, I think, four factors. Mm -hmm. The first thing is that we use phones before we go to bed. And when we use those phones before we go to bed, we get something called pre-sleep arousal. That means it delays the onset of sleep, good sleep, for 90 minutes. Then that blue light from the phones, that also affects our circadian cycle. Then we're finding out now that things that we eat specifically that are like emulsifiers, like carrageenan, it's a dysbiotic agent. It messes up our intestinal tract, and then that actually turns on the immune system in a negative way. And we get something called intestinal permeability. So things leak in and out of our intestinal tract. That's another one. Then we have this fear of missing out or or social media effect where what are our friends doing? What's everyone doing? I need to compare myself to everybody else. And what it's done is created an incredible amount of traffic in our brains and our bodies where our bodies and our brains are saying, hey, we need to survive and we're not being nourished nor rested and we feel stressed, and then our health starts to decline. Let's focus on the phones for a second, because I have my views on that myself. Mm. And, you know, I'm personally of the view that for all the good that social media does, and and we can list those good things, there are some spinoff effects that are less than optimal, you know, creates a false sense of community, 
It creates mm-hmm. standards that I would say 99% of us can't possibly attain because it is so curated and, and false. It's also created a situation where people are now unable to tell the difference between fact and opinion. Yeah. It's been blended into one. So, mm-hmm. so that you can, the net result of that is you can find exactly what is good for you and you can find exactly what is bad for you with no gateway, right? Like there's nobody telling mm-hmm. you that this isn't true. If you want to believe it, well, that's the new truth, right? Like, oh, yeah, here it right. is. I found it on the internet. Therefore, it must be true. Sorry, that's yeah. my soapbox, but you go ahead. Well, and I think you're right. And I think that actually adds to the basket of stress. Because yeah. now actually we don't know who is trustworthy and where we can find legitimate information from. And we're being sold a lot of things that don't have really long-term potential for human health. Like, I'm sorry, but like the next pill isn't really going to do it. That's not going to do it. It comes from a lifestyle adjustment. And we really have to decide as a society how many stressful things we want to put in the marketplace and how we're going to respond to those things as humans. Because it's clear that what we're doing is kind of like sticking a stick in a bee's nest that's riling us up and we're losing our emotional readiness for the for for life i think we're also losing our sense of community for sure community in the sense of like mobilizing people to do something for a greater good right like like, look at i'm i was a commercial litigator by profession so i understand the importance of dissent and free speech very very Mm -hmm. well probably better than most people who tout it but it's almost impossible to mobilize Something as simple as, you know, public health, when Mm -hmm. people are allowed to spread disinformation and are basically politicizing issues and and they're, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But I I just I question how we can mobilize for the greater good going forward. And I don't think it's through social media. I just don't. Yeah. And it, it probably isn't through social media. It's probably through the micro of the local community where you have people who are boots on the ground, belly to belly, eyeball to eyeball that are actually going through the motions of living a good lifestyle with you, which is probably structurally from a community having good nutritional programs, gardening, getting people engaged in outdoor activity, sunlight exposure, and then that important thing that they all do is social connection. It turns out that loneliness is the number one predictor of more rapid age decline and dementia in the elder population. So we really need to address that. It's an excellent point, Jamie. Yeah, and and, you know, it isn't just loneliness. It's the tag-along effect of not having a reason, right? A reason to do what you're doing, right? Like, you can exist, and and you don't necessarily have to... You can have people around you, but if you don't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, it's really hard to get out of bed in the morning, you know? Like... Yeah, there's a there's a researcher at Harvard. Uh, he's part of our network. His name's Tyler uh, Van Mulen, and he's doing research on flourishing. Mm-hmm. So he's doing this, and he's doing exactly what you're referring to. It's not just the mere absence of disease that makes us feel great. It's it's actually the expression of vitality. Correct. So it's not just that you're not sick. It's that you're actually expressing vitality, meaning. You have purpose. You believe that the world is an interesting and enticing place. You feel alive and you feel pretty somewhat safe. Does that feed into resiliency? Absolutely. When you feel those things and when you're nourished in your mind and your body and you feel flourished or flourishing, you're absolutely more resilient. And thank you for saying that because that means that you're managing your allostatic load well in your exposome to bring those words back. Mm-hmm. So your allostatic load in the exposome that you're in, that's resiliency. And you do that through eating right, moving right, sleeping right, 
getting the right social connections, meditating once in a while, and getting outside. They're all structurally important. Is this something that we need to sort of teach ourselves? To me, it seems obvious, but I don't think it is. I don't think it is anymore, right? Uh, Well, I think that it's so obvious that it's not obvious. It's the things that we know we all need to do. Every single person can tell you, yeah, I feel better after sleeping well. My child is more emotionally regulated after sleeping well. I feel terrible after eating that fast food meal, and I'm more snappy. You know, we behave and our emotional states are based on those things. And you're right, we've taken them for granted. But the teams that I work with now, it's so interesting, this lifestyle stuff, It's the most complicated science now that we are looking at. It's the consolidated optimization of environment and genes working together to create like really vital and flourishing human beings who treat each other well. Yeah, I think the problem is some of us may have resources. The one resource that I think we're all bereft is time until, you know, perhaps you're in retirement and then you have more time, but it may not be quality time if, if you're not well, but you know, it's how do you use that time? Is it passive? Are you watching TV? Are you on your phone? Mm-hmm. Or are you actually doing something? Right. And right. it takes so much more energy to do something. I, it would be so easy just to sort of sit there and take in this or that. And, and there's, you know, if you want to watch something artistic, that is great. Experiencing art is great. But I think we have to learn how to do things. And I think starting with why is important, Simon Sinek's, of course, book, it's that the what and the, and the where and the when and all those things, they're secondary to the very foundational motivational reason inside of your soul and why you're doing it. And again, doing podcasts and, and, and episodes and media like we're doing right now to educate people, it's super important to let people know that they can feel better than they do. Yep. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. Always good to be here. What would you like to discuss next time you're on? I don't know. I think we should talk about the rise of placebo medicine. There is a very legitimate area of study now for medicine, and I think it's going to be something people are talking about in the future. Perfect. That was David Nelson. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss what to look for in group fitness classes with Stacy Irvine on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric-coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
Dr. Stacy Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. The philosophy and identity of Totem have been greatly influenced by Stacy's love of athletics and her passionate belief that everyone will benefit from a healthy, active lifestyle in their own unique way. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's a frequent guest on the show. Welcome back, my friend. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Good to be here. So uh, there's a famous scene in Bridesmaids where um, two of the protagonists are in the park but they're a ways away from a group that's doing exercise because they didn't want to pay for the class, (laughs) but they're like mirroring the movements. So it got me thinking about how people are getting back to fitness and the weather's getting better and we're not advocating screwing over personal (laughs) trainers by not paying them, but I want to talk about group classes. Okay. They need the money. I love that scene so much. Anytime you're probably the same as me. Anytime there's fitness in a movie, my ears perk up. I'm like, Oh my God, what are they going to do? I thought that was hysterical. I love it. I've seen it actually happen in real life as well. So where people are like totally ghost taking the class off in the distance. Yeah. That's that is too funny. absolutely hysterical. Okay, so I've taken a few. I like group classes. Me too. I, that's my jam. Yep. But for those who've never done it before, what are the benefits of, of taking a group class? There are so many benefits, especially now. So one thing that we've lost with, you know, the last two years we've been through is human connection. Mm-hmm. And really, I think that that's the fundamental benefit of a group class is that you're there connecting with other human beings in a very healthy way. Mm-hmm. You're being inspired. You're making friends. And there is no question that when you're in a class, you're going to be a little bit more dedicated to your workout and you're probably going to push yourself a little bit harder than you would if you were doing something by yourself. Yeah. I mean, like I'm a competitive dude. You may know that. And so I I was taking the strength class and Naomi was actually taking it with me. But the nice thing was there was like a bunch of older guys. I'm going to age my, like we were all in our fifties, right? Nice. And it became this thing where we were really pushing each other to see what we could do. And some of these, and I wasn't with them because I can't run, but they actually ended up doing uh, like little triathlons. Like that's where it I got, like, it. like they, they really were pushing. Right. Yes. And to me, that was a benefit because when I'm on my own, yeah, I can self-motivate, but having that guy, you think like, oh, I'm better than him. I can't believe he lifted right. that. Like, right. I'm, like I'm going to lift that. Right. Yes. And that in and of itself could be a benefit. Right. A hundred percent. And that's just being a human being. That's an instinct. So we have a bit of pride and we all have a little bit of competitiveness. And the piece that I find the most rewarding with classes is all human beings have a desire to learn and be inspired. Right. And that's what we get from a group class. And it's not the same when you do it on video. There's something, there's a detachment there because lots of times you're not being watched, but that energy is not there. You know, honestly, it's kind of similar to religion. Like there's a reason when you put a group of people in a church and they're all singing together that they get an emotional release and that can all be measured scientifically by our hormones and by our physiology. And the exact same thing happens in a class. However, the competitiveness is can be a good thing. It can be something that's not good. True. 
right? Well, we'll get to etiquette. We, yeah, we'll, we, we'll get to etiquette too, right? And injury. My biggest yeah. concern is injury because there's a lot of new classes out there, not to slam the CrossFit and the Barry's oh, no. Boot Camp and stuff, but wow, I'm seeing quite a few patients coming into my clinic that have been hurt in class. And I would never discourage someone from doing a class, but this is why we're having this very important conversation is do your research, yeah. figure out who your instructor is going to be, make sure it's the appropriate level for you. And I like what you're doing. See, see, you're in the class with people the same age and a similar ability. Yeah. And that's wonderful because that's just maybe there's a few setting the bar a little bit higher for you, which is fantastic. But we don't want a 50-year-old to go jump into a class with, you know, a bunch of 25-year-old CrossFitters and try to keep up and end up with, you know, a herniated disc or something like that. Well, so. well CrossFit in particular, and for yeah. those who don't know, I mean, like you really are pushing the limits. A friend of mine actually owns a CrossFit gym and mm-hmm. I went there and I thought I was fit. And I found out I was not uh, in a very in a very embarrassing way. But you know, and he's a doctor who retired, and right. like he's probably the fittest guy I know, pound for pound. Right. But CrossFit's intense. But you really kind of need to know what you're getting into with these classes. You do. I mean, it's okay to be aspirational, but you also don't want to be frustrated. You don't you don't want to be doing things that are out of your comfort zone so much that you actually literally can't do the movements because then you're not going to keep up with it, and it's a bad experience. And of course. Yes there is that injury risk. Yes. And the part that I find sometimes so heartbreaking is when people get injured in a class, they think it's their fault. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It is not your fault if you get injured in a class. And I really encourage everyone that if that happens, please go back to the place and say, look, this is what happened. And and I've even called a few places because the person I was treating was too afraid to go back. And I said, but you know what? This is not right. And so... As much as I love classes, I really do want to say that people should do their research. Find a class that you love, because if you find something that you love, it's going to give you all those benefits and it's going to improve your fitness level. And it's such a great way to socialize and make friends. And that has all these other health benefits as well. So, you know, then the question becomes, how do you do that? Right. Well, you got to think about, you know, what activities do I like? And what activities have I done in the past that I've been successful at? So if you are an Olympic lifter and you were like some type of maybe like a track and field athlete, then CrossFit is for you. Okay. If you're a person that doesn't like to do those coordinated movements and do, you know, rhythmic things to music, maybe a cycle class is the thing for you. So so you have to go through, there's so many options. Zumba, the other end of the spectrum, right, is for people who love just to dance. It's a little bit lower intensity, but it's very high on the social factor. And it's very high on making you feel good about what you're doing. You're moving your body. I absolutely have no issue really with any class that you don't hurt yourself and you're moving. It's better than staying at home and it's better than sitting on the couch. You know, it's a great way to find out if you actually like an activity because, you know, it's typically much less expensive than, you know, buying all the equipment yourself and or hiring a personal trainer for, for, you know, this way, hey, maybe I'd like to spin. Well, sure. Try spin class. It's going to cost you $25 or maybe there's an entry level or, or taking a yoga class and find out if that's right for you. It's a good way of doing that. And also, you know, let's not understate the importance of having an instructor there to sort of watch you, understanding their attention. And I think this sort of circles back to what you were saying before, the size of the class, the skill of the instructor will edify 
how much instruction you're actually going to get and whether they have the time to watch the movement of everybody in the class. So, yes. you know, with one-on-one, somebody watching you one-on-one, you're not going to have any problems with your form. Yes. You can't really improve your form in a group class unless you've, unless you're asking that instructor sort of after, Hey, can you keep an eye on me and just make sure I'm doing it right? You know, that's a very good point. And so when we talk about things like personal training versus classes, lots of these class instructors also work as personal trainers. So that's a wonderful way to start because Pilates is a perfect example of this. There are so many Pilates classes out there, but Pilates is quite technical. There's breathing that goes with every movement. There's you know, a thousand movements that you can do with a with a bunch of variations. So if someone says to me, you know, I think I'd really like Pilates, I say, that's amazing. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to do three private sessions first, get the basics down, get the postures down, and then go have the best time in the class because you know what they're talking about, you know what they're doing, and you are able to participate and not worry about things. The other great news is right now, classes are much quieter. Yeah. This is a good time to do it because, you know, we're used to this social distancing. Gone are the days of 50 people packed in a dark room. I have yet to see that. So I think that's a great thing. I'm very questionable of classes that turn the lights out completely because, again, and that's it's a trend right now. Like a lot of this dark stuff, right? In spinning, that was a thing, right? Yeah, and it still is. I just did a class on the weekend, and and at some points it was pitch black, and I was like, wow, I've got to get used to this. So I think... If you're not used to the class, don't go into a pitch black one, okay? Because, you know, and and definitely let the instructors know that you're new to the class, you have some, you know, hesitations or concerns. But also when we're talking about, you know, etiquette, it's a class. It's not about you, okay? So you have to remember that the instructor is looking after you, but there's also potentially 20 other people. And the instructor's trying to get in the zone of motivating people and what's their playlist. And they've got a lot going on. Yep. So please be respectful of that. And then, you know, lots of instructors are happy to wait after the class if you want to have a good one-on-one conversation. I would always do it after as opposed to before. And pace yourself in a class. It Really, truthfully, no one's watching you. Like, yeah, nobody, you know, nobody's going to call nobody you Nobody cares. So I actually used to teach classes. So I'm coming, right. I'm coming at it from a different perspective, yes. right? Yes. So I used to be a spin instructor. And I, and I can tell you that I want to know if you've ever done it before, right? Yep. And I want to know if you want me to correct stuff in the middle of the class yes. or not. Yes. But I can't address those things in the middle of the class. I can't no. just stop you know, I've got a playlist. I've got it. As you said, yeah. there's, I'm watching everybody. I can't yeah. just take time out in the middle necessarily to address your concerns. Yeah. I would say the, the only other thing etiquette wise is pet peeve is when you're in my class, you do not reference your phone. No. You show up on time. 100%. And you don't leave early unless you're bleeding from the head. Yes. And you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's not yep. cool yep. to just leave because that's disruptive to the class it too, is, right? It is because like, then the instructor thinks maybe there's something wrong. Right. So yeah, I agree. Like dedicate the time. There's many different like lengths of time of classes. Pick one that you can fit in. You can get there early and you will have the best time when you're organized like that and when you pick the right level, classes really are awesome. And I really hope that lots of people decide that they want to do more classes. I agree. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. For more information about Dr. Stacy Irvine, visit www.totem.ca. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Quadjo Kyermenton, Dr. Lise Janelle, David Nelson, and Dr. Stacy Irvine. 
And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The March-April issue is still available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.